It's always been wanting to be great at whatever I was doing in that moment. You're listening to Hawk Talk, a podcast all about the origin stories of the most interesting people in the world. Today, you know our guests as famous athletes, authors, and entrepreneurs, but there's so much more to the story. Let's get into today's interview with your host, Eric Huber. All right. So you're listening to Hawk Talk. I'm here today with Rachel Zoe. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Yeah, always like to kick it off. So if we go back to preschool, kindergarten, were you like the most fashionable person on the playground? Like where did like where did it all start? Where did you where are you from? Where did you grow up? Okay, so I grew up in a town called Short Hills in New Jersey. Which, you know, I tell people from here, I now live in Brentwood and I, everyone's like, what's Short Hills? I'm like, it's literally Brentwood in New Jersey. It's the exact same place on the East Coast. And, you know, sometimes I go to some of the places here, like a restaurant or the Country Mart, and I'm literally like, I'm having deja vu to where I grew up. That's probably why I ended up living here because I was kind of craving that. So yeah, so I grew up in a town called Short Hills, very suburban life. And then I went to school. Was I the most fashionable? The answer is I loved fashion from honestly, as long as I can remember. And my mother always says like, she has two daughters, couldn't be more different. Literally, I, if we both dove into her closet, my sister would organize it and I would take everything. So (laughs) she's like, I don't know, you were made the same way. You came into the world the same way, but like, you just can't, you know, everyone's so different. So and was your um, mom into fashion or did yeah. the, yeah, yes. got it. my mom is, you know, she's very glamorous. I'm pretty sure I never saw my mother leave the house without lipstick and still down. I definitely love fashion. My mother is very glamorous, is very glamorous. And I definitely did not dress like everybody else. You know, I, I didn't, I just, yeah. I didn't really want to, and I didn't feel the need to, mm-hmm. I just wanted to be different. And I was always overdressed no matter what. For as long as I can remember. And I really remember it in my like junior high and high school years. I remember just being more dressed up and always being in heels when everyone was in sneakers. And, you know, I remember traveling on the West Coast with a group of teens called a teen tour. And I remember like climbing the Grand Tetons and I was wearing heels. (laughs) And everybody was like, you can't do that. You're going to kill yourself. I'm like, I got this. I'm good. And it just didn't feel right to me to not wear them. You know, so that's a thing I always kind of explain is I don't really, it's not for anybody. It's this is who I am you know, and when I'm literally sitting at home and seeing nobody for the last 10 months, I'm, I'll throw on like a, you know, fur vest and a cashmere dress and makeup just because it's like makes you feel human, you know? But anyway, so long story short, went to George Washington University. Mm -hmm. What'd you study? Sociology and psychology. Nice. One would argue I use it every day of my life. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I do in work, in life, in yeah. kids. You know, it's really, really come in handy, I have to say. Understanding how people tick or what makes people tick is that's, huge. That's exactly. And that was my real obsession and passion. And I really thought that's what I would do with my life, to be honest, because I was so fascinated by people and their minds and how they think and what makes them go. And So when I left for college, my parents moved to the city. They're New Yorkers. Uh Um, So I think once my sister and I left, they moved. And I'm pretty sure I never went back to New Jersey after that. And then lived in the city after. Okay, so trying to figure out how. I'm curious. Yeah. How how did you choose that degree? Like what drew you to it originally? Was it because you want to know why people? Yeah, I was. I loved psychology. I was. I I mean, I got straight A's in my major. You know, Mm -hmm. I was so 
I was so fascinated by it. Like it just is so, when you learn, like it's, it's weird. I actually recommend to everybody that they take psychology like it deeper than, than is required because I think it really does. It just, you, you know, and maybe it's because I have a fascination with people and their minds, but I think what I, what I knew was that I didn't want to have a job that was a straight corporate nine to five. I knew that was not for me. I knew that I had to be moving, changing my environment, being with different people. That was something that really mattered to me. And and I hate to say it like this because it makes me sound like I'm 80, but like in those days, you know, it wasn't (laughs) like it is now, you know, where you have 10 internships before you even start working or you know what you want to do at the age of 13. It really wasn't like that for me. I think, (laughs) listen, I think if you wanted to be a doctor or a lawyer or, you know, something like that, then yes, you knew like what you were doing what you know how far you were going in school and and things like that but for me you know very admittedly I didn't love being a student Mm -hmm. so the reason I didn't ultimately become a psychiatrist or psychologist was because it really required more school after college and I say that very honestly because you know I always say like I'm pretty sure that if someone offered me in my senior year of high school and said hey you can go off and start your career now or you can go to college for four years, I would have 100% gone to work. I wanted to work from a very young age. I was very ready to go and do and be and make my own money. And did you like, when you were young, did you have like either little hustles or job? Yeah, I got a job at the Short Hills Mall very fancy mall working at Nine West Shoes. And I would always win like best salesperson because I I loved it. I loved making my own money. I loved not having to ask for money, you know, and that was really appealing to me, honestly, like an independence. And, you know, it was weird. Like I went to school and I always say for me, college served as growing up. You know, I really became independent, knew how to take care of myself. And so I really think college... If nothing else, if people don't take away like, oh, I'm going to apply this knowledge, which you do, but yeah. if you don't, you grow up. You yeah, know? I would say, yeah, I went to school for business management. I learned a little bit, but I, it's exactly my what I say about colleges. I need at 18, I was 17 is when I went to college. I was not ready for anything. Yeah. By 21, when I graduated, like I was ready for the real world. Like exactly. it, it gave me time to grow up and have fun and spread my wings a little bit. Totally, and I, and I really and that's the thing. And and in hindsight, it's like. But I would say that if like, if I knew that and what I know now, I probably would have gone to fashion school. Mm-hmm. You know, I would have gone to, you know, St. Martin's or FIT or Parsons and, you know, but I didn't, honestly, I, I had no idea. And I was not an over planner that way. I really wasn't. I just kind of like, you know, for me, it's always been wanting to be great at whatever I was doing in that moment. Yeah. I definitely had that as my drive, what that was going to be. You know, I didn't know. Were your parents super supportive of this? Is that kind of where the confidence came from of like, it's my, okay? Yeah, my parents, they're amazing when I think about it. Like as a parent, and I say this to them all the time, like on how you did it. Like I didn't get into trouble, you know, yeah. I never got into like drugs or anything like that. And, you know, I think the fear, they somehow managed to parent my sister and I in a way that they instilled enough fear that we respected them and didn't want to disappoint them. Yep. And that, you know, Roger and I, my, my husband, we always talk about, you know, we had this like healthy fear of disappointing our parents. 
you know, that yeah. immediately made you respect them. Because for me, the thought of my parents being sort of disappointed or angry or letting them down or whatever, that look in their face was just the worst, you know, it was the worst. Yeah. And so I think, you know, as a parent, that's kind of the goal. You mm-hmm. want to teach your children these morals and give them these, this code to live by. And, you know, I always say I, I parent really hard. I do really hard because I think kids need someone to, to keep them like this. Yeah. If they start to go like this, you got to redirect. Yeah. If they go like this, you got to redirect. And if you take your eye off the ball, that's kind of, that's yeah. where trouble begins, you know? Yeah. That's totally fair. <laughs> but yeah. It makes a lot of sense. So, okay. So you get out of college, you move back to the city, you said? I moved to the city. I met Roger in Uh college. Nice. So to go back to your, did I get a job? So I actually told my parents one summer going into my sophomore year, I said, I really wanted to meet people outside of school Mm -hmm. and I wanted to work and make some money. So I got a job as a hostess at a restaurant in DC in the Harbor and Roger was working as a waiter. I was the hostess and I was, as he says, I was the hostess in like the very fancy part of the restaurant. And then the casual part was where he was a waiter. And he used to say to me, give me all the good tables. And I said, how do I know the good tables? He goes, if you see people come in with a cell phone, it means they have money and they're going to tip well. I was like, great. So that's how we met. And long story short, you know, like a month later, we were, you know, in love and together and you know and he got his MBA he stayed and got his MBA there and at GW um, or where at GW he did undergrad and grad he's old he's three years older than me okay so he stayed while I finished undergrad and mm-hmm. then we moved to the city and we lived together in the city and the rest is kind of history history meaning I lived there for almost 10 years I want to say yeah 10 years 10 years and then we lived in the city and he was an investment banker yep. it was like the New York kind of like I was a fashion editor and he was an investment banker. Finance and where, and yeah, where, where was it? How'd you get into that? Like, I'm curious. The past okay, there. so this was interesting because everybody was like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And I graduated college. I was like, I have no idea. I literally had no idea. <laughs> I think and, it's really common. I think it's good for a lot of people to know, like, that's normal. <laughs> like, yeah. So many people, like, they, they see the few people that have it all figured out and they're just like, what am I doing? Yes. And I think, I think now... I would say it's less common now, way less common. Like I would, let's put it this way. The young people that I meet now by their freshman, sophomore year of college, they're like, this is my plan. I want to work for you. And then I want to blah, 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 and blah, 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 you know? And I'm like, wow, you know? And and, and so it's definitely a very different time now and opportunity and highly competitive. And I think in those days, you know, I literally knew what I didn't want to do. As I said earlier, I just didn't want to be at a desk with the same people every day. I just knew it wasn't for me, you know, the same way it wasn't for my dad, but it was for his brother. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't for me, but it was for my sister. You just know about yourself, right? Who you are. And I was very clear on that, but I didn't know what that meant. And I got a job literally through a friend, like a family friend's daughter's sister (laughs) who said, oh, well, she works at this magazine. She's a model editor at this magazine called YM. I'm like, what's a model editor? No idea. And then I went in and interviewed for the job as a fashion editor, not actually knowing what that meant. Yep. And I got the job. And I got the job working three days a week, $75 a day. But I ended up working seven days a week, yeah. you know, 18 hours a day because I was obsessed with it. I, yeah. I called my dad and said, I'd do it for free for the rest of my life. And I 
couldn't imagine ever doing anything else. And, and so what, what did the job entail? Like, how did you ramp up with having no background in it? It was like, you know, listen, at the time, having graduated college and having like a good GPA and a good degree and all these things, yeah. that was not sort of the norm in fashion at the time, you know? Yeah. So I think that might've been somewhat appealing. Yep. And I just went head first. Like I just was like, you know, because it was really using like, I guess my taste level, you know, it was sort of just using all of these things, but also like just getting my hands dirty. Like I was just in that fashion closet. I was packing trunks. I was doing 50 page expense reports with receipts and glue and tape. And I could, it wasn't so much of it was not chic or glamorous, Mm -hmm. but I didn't care. That was the thing. And I think that's the beauty of like being young. Mm -hmm. You don't care. It's like, you know, or okay, let me rephrase that. Back then, people didn't care. I think now it's a different conversation. There's a lot more that people expect when they graduate college. And it's definitely an entitlement. And I think, I'm not saying everybody, but from what I have seen... It's just a totally different thing. But when oh, you yeah, get it comes those- from everyone has a highlight reel. So they see the the what their friends they aspire to be the most are all getting this. So why shouldn't they? And it's like, I think entitlement is actually okay in yeah. some ways, but I think that it's the expectation that that's the whole job. As you just said, like you were on shoots and all that, which is amazing, but you're also dealing with 50 page expense reports. People forget that there's another side of the job. Yes. And doing all the, yes, because that's, it's like, for me, I feel like that helped shape who I became. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you have to, you have to do the dirty work. First. Yeah, exactly. You have to grind a little bit. So you, you. Yeah. Because that's what kind of like makes you resilient. And, you know, and I think now there's just this expectation to go from like here to here Yeah. in like six months, yep. you know, yep. <laughs> I love, and by the way, there is a, a huge gray area between that and like ambition. Exactly. Yeah. I love ambition. Agreed. I love when people are ambitious and I can spot the stars within two weeks. Yep. You know? Yep. No, they show up, they're ready to go and they work hard, but you know, and it's, I guess now that you're a business owner, I am too. It's our job to also reward that because you can lose those people very quickly. Yes. yes. hundred. You, you got to listen when you find people you love and, and the stars, you got to hold on for dear life. <laughs> that, totally agree. All right. So you, you become a fashion editor and did you have like guidance while you're there? You have a really good boss or someone that was, no, I'm just answer, go, go the do answer it. Is, the answer is I did have one good boss who really taught me a lot. And in fact, she mentored me and she actually is the reason that I went freelance because she actually started to hire me outside of work, like on weekends and stuff. Nice. And I made more money in like one job than I was making in like a year. And so I worked at the magazine for like three and a half years. I Mm -hmm. went from fashion assistant to senior fashion editor. And the only step above that is fashion director. And unless the person, unless my boss got fired, I was never getting that job. Yeah. And so at the time there was very few jobs in that, in the industry, in what I was doing. And I knew that the people that like my peers at the other magazines were never leaving. They were the most coveted jobs in the entire industry. And so there was lines of hundreds that wanted these jobs. And so I just kind of felt like, oh, what do I do next? Yeah. And after doing a couple of freelance jobs, I was like, this is awesome. Like not just the money, but the creativity and sort of being able to kind of like 
run your show there. Like it was incredible, you know, to be a part of these huge visions. And so one of my very first jobs was working on like Britney Spears videos and, you know, really pivotal ones. And, you know, you stepped away, like never more tired and numb in your entire life. Because when I was styling music videos, I mean, these hours, we would shoot like night shoots for five nights. These were unlimited budgets, but you were working literally like around the clock in the worst, most dangerous neighborhoods. Like it was, it was the craziest thing, but they ended up being these like Music videos were like movies, you know, we had yeah. like Francis Lawrence and Joseph Kahn and, yeah. you know, just some incredible directors. But anyway, so I started, so I went freelance at 25. Mm-hmm. I just closed my eyes, jumped. Everyone's like, do you have your first job? I'm like, no. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> but I was like, but I'm hoping I can get one. And thankfully I'd made enough relationships yeah. with publicists and, and managers that it ended up just being word of mouth where I basically from that point pretty much didn't have a day off for like a full decade. And I started working in the music industry for full like five years. I was simultaneously working in fashion and styling for like different like European fashion magazines and, and, you know, contributing to styling covers for Harper's Bazaar. Like I was really in fashion, which I lived for, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't making a lot of money doing that. So styling in the music industry the music industry was on fire right? and the money that was being put. What, is this there. like early 2000s? Yep. It was late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. I worked on Backstreet Boys for many years during Millennium and with Britney and with Jessica Simpson and Enrique Iglesias for seven years. I mean, it just went on and, you know, I live for it. It was the most insane work ever. Like I can't ever really explain it. And I'm so glad I'm like, live to tell about it, but it's, you know, it, it was an experience that I could never really describe, but it was extraordinary and, and grueling and exhausting, but amazing. And, you know, I mean, I would like fly to Monaco for less than 24 hours for the world music awards. I would fly with the Backstreet Boys for two weeks and then have a reshoot and then a music video. And then they'd need like 50 looks for them for an album cover, but wait, then they're going on tour. Then they have another appearance. You know, it's like, it was completely insane. And I had like one assistant, but I was making an insane amount of money. I was very young. And, you know, and it was, it was pretty amazing to be able to work with like heads of record labels and they would call me and be like, I have this new artist and I want to create this. And what do you think for, you know, so that was like a, a really extraordinary moment. You know, when I look back at it now, I'm like, wow, what a privilege and honor that was, despite the fact that it was insane. I was gonna say, um, yeah, was, I would love to know, like, something you can share, but some, cra- I'm sure you have so many crazy stories from traveling around with these people. Anything that stands out? You know, they really became my friends. We yeah. really became family. And I would say that as a stylist and, you know, similar to hair and makeup, it is such an intimate relationship. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm standing there with, you know, these people without clothes on 90% of the time. Yeah. So you get real close and there's, there's a real trust that has to be there mm-hmm. as a stylist. And, you know, we shared a lot of things. I ended up in all honesty, like Roger was like, you're, you're a therapist. Like you end up being, you take on the role of, you know, sister, mother, friend, girlfriend. I mean, not really, but you know, yeah. like I would give girlfriend advice. I'd give like, yeah. you know, relationship advice. And yes, there's not a lot of stories I can. I can share with you. Yeah, no worries. Someday yeah. I'll write an anonymous book with no names on it. Yeah. But the truth is, is that, you know, it definitely shaped who I became mm-hmm. because I felt like there was nothing I couldn't handle if it was thrown at me. 
And, you know, then I started to dabble in working with Hollywood and actors. Mm -hmm. Tommy Hilfiger gave me my first sort of break in that when I was 25. And, you know, he really took a chance on me. And he was like, I have this huge ad campaign that's styling one week in Austin and one week in LA. I'm recreating the White House. I'm using all these young actors. I'm using all these supermodels, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, I looked at him. I remember standing in his office, like, I, I, you know, like sort of like what? And he was like, I know you can do it. And I was like, okay. And I'm curious. So how did that open? Like how did, where is it? I knew his brother. I knew Tommy's brother, Andy, Mm -hmm. um, who was working at the time doing like Tommy jeans and sort of a bit of a younger line for like, JLo and, you know, working a lot with young Hollywood. And so I became really friendly with Andy and I I met Tommy through Andy and Tommy was just so extraordinary. He was such, he's such a visionary and he's such, he's so smart. Tommy is so smart and he's, and he's very kind, but he really, I would say one of Tommy's biggest, honestly, one of his, one of his best gifts, I would say, is finding talent when you don't even know, you know, like he, he said this to me and I'm like, what? You know, like, you know, when you're 25, you have no confidence in yourself. You know, I don't even know if I have it now. Yeah. You just, you know, it's like, what, you know? And then I just, I mean, I remember having panic attacks every night of that shoot because I was like, if I F this up, I was like, this this, this is the end of me. I might as well. And, you know, and I will say like, the feeling when you're freelance and you work for yourself, you know, people, it wasn't as big in those days. And people used to say to me like, oh my God, you can take as many days off as you want. You work for yourself. You can yeah. like, da-da. and I was like, you have no one to cover for you. Yep. There's no margin for error. Yep. I would work when I had the flu. I remember yep. fainting on set once. Cause I had like, you know, 104 fever and I had to go because yeah. it was yeah. going to be. Yeah, exactly. So you know, there's pros and cons, but I think ultimately, you know, it worked out, but, you know, I ended up doing the job. Thankfully it was a huge success and it was, you know, something I'll remember the rest of my life. And, you know, he really gave me my big break. And I think ultimately, you know, that was a life-changing experience, but what it did was it made me want to do that more. And it made mm-hmm. me want to shift what I was doing because I was really burnt out in the music industry And I had spent some time in LA for work, a lot of time in LA. I would come and like stay for a month at a time. And I just fell so in love with it. It was always pulling at me, California. I just am much more a California person. And I always knew I wanted to be here, but my family's in New York. So there was this constant, you know. And so I moved out here in 2003 after 9-11, because I think I was already wanting to come. And then when 9-11 happened, I kind of was never the same. I was definitely one of those people that was... You know, some people were more easily able to move on. I was really not able to move on, you know, and I think where I lived in the West Village and kind of watching it all, I think it just had a, I think the PSD for me with PTSD was so real. I just, it's hard to love the city when you've been through that, even though it has a place in a lot of my my whole family's from New York too. And it's got a place in everyone's heart, but once you've been through that, that's still, it has that undertone for a long time. hundred percent. So I think, and you know, listen, we had no kids, Mm -hmm. right? We were married, no kids. And so we were both building our careers and I, we moved out here in 2003 and I I swear we never looked back. And I got a break through a friend that I met who I'm still very close with. She's now a really big manager, but she was a publicist at the time who I met for coffee and she worked with Jennifer Garner. 
and a couple other actors, actresses. And, you know, she was like, you know, your book is great, da 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 But, you know, it's one of those things you walk away like, mm, that's never going to happen. But she ended up calling me in for a job for the Emmys. And Jen at the time was, you know, at top of her game, crushing it on Alias and like getting nominated for like everything. And I mean, she's still on top of her game, but she ended up her, I guess her look fell through three days before the Emmys. And so Nicole called me and said, Hey, I know it's last minute, but would you, you know, be up for this? And I ended up working with Jen and the rest was kind of history. Like Jen and I got real close and I ended up dressing her for everything. And I couldn't have loved anything more. And then after that came like Cameron Diaz and Salma Hayek and Karen Knightley and, you know, and, and the like Kate Hudson. And then, you know, that was really it for me. I found what I loved, you know, I I just loved it. I was like, this is, this is it. This is what I'm doing. Then I started working with like Lindsay Lohan and Nicole Ritchie and Misha Barton. And, you know, so there's different, you know, Chapter. And so how long did you, you know, built out, got into Hollywood and were you styling them for the award shows and also for sometimes on screen? Not film, no, okay, not okay. film. And, you know, I had been asked several times to work on film or television. Mm-hmm. And the reason I didn't take that on was because I wouldn't have been able to do anything else. Yeah. It's a completely different business. Honestly. Yeah, it's full-time job at that point, right? Full-time. And it's a lot of costume design. It's it's a different, to be honest, it's a different craft. It's it really yeah. is. But you know, you never see never, right? Yeah, <laughs> sure. And so so what happened from there? Because I know there's a TV show, you ended up with Shoe Dazzle. You ended up like, so when did you start getting into all the other it's so weird in so many ways? My whole life's a blur. I'm like, and here we are. You're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Okay. God. Yeah. So I ended up, I'm trying to figure out the I did I did my first book. Style A to Zoe in 2006, 2007. And that was Style A to Zoe. It was New York Times bestseller. And that was on my list of things I'll never do because I'm not a huge book reader, let alone did I think I would ever write a book. And to be honest, it's it's not that I don't love reading. It's that I... I have no life like time. Yeah, that's, by the way exact same my book's supposed to come out later this year and I, <laughs> I, I i thankfully had a ghostwriter help me with it and finally sat down and committed to it because of we we're all stuck at home i was like finally sure. have time to do this sure. but i'm not an, my business partner is an avid reader like once a week has another book and wow. so i was like good let me know how this one is and so totally. he edited it for me yeah i mean i very admittedly just you know it's a time thing right yeah okay so TV show number one on the list of things I'd never do, um, <laughs> which was let someone into my life with a camera. I think having created a career out of being behind the scenes and being really comfortable there. Yep. And my father from when I was, I don't know, eight years old said, you have to be in front of the camera. You have to be in front of the camera, <laughs> you know? And it wasn't because he like wanted me to be famous. He just would like say to me, you know, but listen, I'm a daddy's girl, my, but my dad would say like, you know, you light up the camera, you did it. I'm like, oh, you know, you listen to your dad, right? Dad, I'm not comfortable with that. Nope. Nope. Stylist behind the scenes. And, you know, lo and behold, I got approached to, to develop a show. And at the time, you know, I think you're a lot younger, but there was a show called Elsa Clinch Style with CNN. And I was obsessed with it. And I watched it every, th- every Saturday at 1030. I would watch it. And it was like, honestly, it was like watching, I don't even know what to compare it to. It was like heaven for me. It was like, she was sitting there talking to Karl Lagerfeld and John Galliano and Mr. Valentino. And I was just like, oh, 
So I wanted to do that show. I wanted to do the modern day version of that show. But lo and behold, you know, when the show was picked up by Bravo and, you know, it just morphed into something totally different. And we called it the Rachel Zoe Project because that was the title on the call sheet for the first day of shooting. (laughs) And we're trying to come up with a title and they wouldn't not have my name in it. And so I said, let's just call it the Rachel Zoe Project because then no matter what the show becomes, the name will make sense. Yep. You know, and it, and it did, and it did five years later, you know, nine months out of the year, we shot that show, Mm -hmm. um, along with my day job, Um, keep up with everything else too. It was insane. It was literally insane. In hindsight, I'm literally like, I can't believe I'm alive, but I am. So that's good. I am curious. So I know Roger was in banking for a while. At what point did you guys start working together more? Cause I'm sure that that's a very taxing job too. Yes. Working with my husband. (laughs) yes no Um, (laughs) no I meant the investment banking it's actually been good working with him (laughs) so Roger you know he's got his long trajectory as well but he was an investment banker while we were in New York Uh he then started a business with one of his partners that he was an investment banker with um, named Neil Vogel and they ended up forming recognition media Mm -hmm. oh that's right yeah and they ended up like you know taking over the Webby Awards and the Telly Awards and all these things. And as you know, the Webby Awards are, I mean, it's like the Oscars of the internet. Yeah. So it's still very big and he's still involved. He's still on yeah. board. So that was something they started and all of these things. And then he came out, you know, we, we were in LA and basically yeah. my job and my career and my brand, all of it was just starting. It was just, it was, it was honestly overwhelming Mm-hmm. And I am very clear on what I know and very clear on what I don't know. And I know that I don't know finance and business and, you know, in, in the traditional sense, I know sure. business from instinct and I know business, like I know what I want to be an advisor on and or investor in. And I, I know how to follow my gut and things like that, but don't show me spreadsheets. Don't ask me to model something. No. Don't, you know, so Roger basically we, you know, we've been together almost 30 years. Mm-hmm. So at the time, I think it was around 2009 that we started working together and we formed the Zoe Report. Roger is a media guy, is yeah. a media guy, was a media guy. I think we'll always be a media guy. But he really, you know, listen, he was very early to the obsession with the internet and yeah. and that whole sensation. And, you know, we started the Zoe Report because he felt it was necessary to connect with more people. And was that, when did the TV show start? TV show started, I want to say 2007. Okay. I want to say we launched the Zoe Report in 2009. Yeah. We sold the Zoe Report to almost three years ago to Mm -hmm. Bustle Digital Group, Uh Brian Goldberg. And it was an incredible thing that we did because we love each other. We're still partners. I'm Mm -hmm. still involved. I'm still a shareholder. Yep. But they're doing an extraordinary job with it. And the Zoe Report basically was launched to, you know, it started as a newsletter to just connect with my followers and my people that wanted to be styled by me, get advice by me, you know, basically in, in that. And then Roger really, you know, that was, that was really him, you know, mm-hmm. that wasn't, you know, so it's really born out of the need to figure out new ways to connect with my audience, honestly, yep. followers, yep. audience, whatever you want to call them. And then you you got into shootouts. Was that like 2012? Probably. Maybe yeah. a little, no, before. I think a little before that. And I guess it was, a, yeah, you it, because you already had the Zoe report, you started already looking at e-commerce and looking at media online. And yep. so that yep. opened that door, I assume. 
all around the same time. And we met Brian Lee from Shoe yep. Dazzle, who I love. Yeah, he's great. So friends, he's awesome. Yeah, it's funny. Like, it's really all a blur. But I would say from like 2006 or seven to around 13 mm-hmm. was all the Rachel Zoe project, the Zoe Report, the, you know, and the like and everything around it, honestly. And I launched my clothing line in 2011, mm-hmm. a month before I gave birth to my first son. Wow. <laughs> A little busy. <laughs> Literally, there's a picture of me like on the cover of Women's Wear Daily from that time, just before my fashion show. And I had this like tummy and yep. I was like, in thigh high boots, standing with models in my clothes just before I was about to show my collection. And I literally was like, I've, I've lost my mind, you know, <laughs> it's literally lost my mind. But like life just, it happens, you know, yep. and you just have to take it as it comes. And, you know, I've really always been governed by you cannot overplan your life. Yeah. You just can't because at least for me, it really would set me up for failure and that feeling of failure. Because when I meet people that are like, I want to be married by 25 and I want a baby by 28 and I want my second baby at 31. I want to start a company at 30. I want to do it. And I'm like, but you're leaving out the biggest variable, which is life. Yeah, exactly. No, you know? I totally agree. <laughs> No, I, I, had, I remember my like goal as a, in college was like, I'm going to own my first piece of real estate by 25. Like that was my goal. Mm-hmm. And I graduated in 2008 from college right. when the whole industry collapsed and the whole- you graduated um, in 2008? Yeah. I'm about to close yeah. the screen. <laughs> I no long, we're no longer friends. Yeah. I don't like you anymore. <laughs> well, yeah. So came out and then like, yeah, it was one of these things like, well, I remember when 25 hit and I wasn't even close. It was like, I thought I was like failed. Like I had missed something. I wasn't going to be that young success yep. and like timing and luck and circumstance. And the like, I made fun of marketing majors in college and now yep. I run a giant marketing team. Yep. Like, it's, like it's, you just, it's impossible to have those plans. And I think the people that try to stick with them just end up disappointing themselves and becoming depressed. Like, a thousand percent. And that's exactly my point. And I have said this for 20 years. Like everyone's like, oh, what was your strategy? What was your yeah. plan? Did you have goals? And I'm like, my goal, and I remember it like it was yesterday, sitting on the floor of my New York apartment with Roger taping my 50-page expense reports for the Backstreet Boys. Yeah. Roger was like, I literally said to him, like, I just want to be the best stylist I can be. And I, I want to I want to do this forever. Yeah. And that was literally like as far as I saw. Yeah. And I think part of that is that I'm I was was is will always be on some level a workaholic. And I think when you're in it that deeply, you don't see what else could or can be in front of you until you get up to see a little bit of light and you're like, okay, Hey, I need to change. I need more. I need to do something else. I need to diversify. I need, you know, or an amazing opportunity presents itself. Exactly. Yeah. And, or sometimes people just 50 years of the same thing and they love it. Like, I think that's cool too. And I know people like that. I know a lot of people like that. And you know, I, it's not for me. It's not for me. Yeah, totally. (laughs) All right. So 2013, you have a second baby, have a second baby. Okay. And I uh, I jump right into an Oscar fitting (laughs) eight (laughs) days later. Okay. So Um, all through this, you are still full-time stylist with the shoe dows endorsement and the line and the TV show, I guess the TV show, when did that 
that. That ended, I think, right then, 2013, because right. oh. I was pregnant yeah. with Pius, and I just yeah. remember being like, so you're working a ton and then just adding things to it, even though you're already working a ton. <laughs> yes. And I, and I believe I was also a, an advisor consultant for a company called Piper Lime. Mm-hmm. They were owned by the Gap. And, you know, it's funny, they were so hugely successful. And then I think what happened, you know, I think they were almost too early on in the online platform, shopping platform. Yeah. And they, they were owned by the Gap and they, they did, they had an incredible run of like, seven, 10 years, you know, and then I think just everyone moved in on e-com and it just, you know, yeah. but it, it was an amazing experience and I curated the site for them. So that was another yeah. big, big part of my job at the time and shoe dazzle. And yeah, my God. Yeah. A lot. And so, <laughs> I'm literally like, <laughs> and I'm looking back. So I think you left shoe dazzle like 2013, 14, right? You mm-hmm. stopped, so. you stopped working with them and you what you I know you watched you watched the box and what 15 16 was the box we of style? Launched box of style in what are we in? Yeah, I think 2015 because I think it's five years and we just launched Curator around right. the fifth anniversary. So yeah, yeah. We, we did the launch for you guys because that's why I'm like, I should no know. Way. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> so God. We worked with you guys with Tom Bell Macy. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, and so and funny enough, I actually met the first time I met Roger, which now we've talked a bunch, but and met your parents, I was sitting at the farmhouse, farm shop in Beverly Hills. Yeah. And I'm sitting behind and we have a mutual investment. I hear someone talking all about how they're going to copy FabFitFun and build it and da, da, da. And I'm listening, seeing, yeah. hearing, hear something because I was in that first round with those guys too. I, then, can I just pause? Yeah. I love Michael Burkeem and Danny yeah. so much. They're very dear friends. I love them so much. And let me tell you something. I root for them. I, I buy it. Whatever Michael says to me, I listen and I, I love him. And I don't, I don't say that about people typically like there, there aren't, but Michael's someone I met and Danny as well, but you know, Michael, I met him and I remember when I first met him and I was like, I love him. I yeah, love no, his energy. I, I just, you know. He's a very sharp sweetheart. Is yeah, kind of the way to put that, it. That's yeah. exactly correct. And I yeah. said to Roger, I was like, I never, I, I don't feel like this easily, but I just want to hug him. Yeah. Like, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. He's like, Michael's like, he's just a sweetheart. I call him Mikey because yeah. I don't think I've ever called him Michael. <laughs> yeah, same. Mikey and Danny. That's all. <laughs> no, they're so the I, best. I met them. So before Hawk, I had a, a company called Ellie that we actually used to advertise with the Zoe Report a lot. It was an activewear brand. And this is eight years ago. Yeah. And, and then I met Danny. I was introduced. I was at Science, the incubator. And I met Danny because yeah. he was frankly trying to get Science to advertise with FabFitFun yeah. when it was still a newsletter. Yeah. And so when they went to pivot to e-commerce, I had sold Ellie and was working on Hawk. And he's like, well, you're coming. They both called me and they're like, we need you to invest in this. I was like, guys, I don't invest in startups. I spend enough time on that stuff. I want to invest like way outside the industry. Like, no, 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 we're not asking. Like you're writing a check. You just let us know how much you want to. And like everyone that invested, I wish I wrote more. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Of course. course. But you know, I'm so happy to be a part of their journey and they're a part of ours. And you know, we have such a great relationship, but I, I bet on them. Well, that was, that was what was fun was sitting at lunch listening, thinking it was someone like trying to rip them off. And so I sure. finally leaned back and go, so how do you know the Bruhims? And <laughs> Roger was like, oh, I'm married to Rachel Zoe. This is their parents. I'm like, oh, got it. <laughs> and so so it's not a shady lunch. asshole trying to like. Yeah, because well, my, my dad's from LA and he's told me, he's in real estate, but he's told me stories of like sitting at lunch and someone's talking too loud about something and deals that have gotten ripped off and stuff like that. So I was like, what's How crazy is that? Yeah. And also Roger's so loud. <laughs> so loud. 
So loud. Good guy. Yeah. So yeah, so you, what, let's get up to now. So you, you know, obviously she does until 13. You launched Box of Style, let's say 15. Like what have you been focused on the past few years? You sold the I report mean, three years ago. My collection, I mean, I launched Shop Rachel Zoe in 2011. Yeah. You know, now over the last two years, thankfully pre-COVID, you know, we were already pulling into just direct to consumer. Nice. We never had freestanding stores. I didn't really want to. And I kind of saw where the industry was going. Mm -hmm. And so when COVID happened, thankfully, we didn't have a lot of, we didn't have freestanding stores. So yeah. that was a, a real, that was really helpful for us, you know, and ultimately we will make shop Rachel Zoe, a sort of marketplace of everything Rachel Zoe. It'll really be like just the world up because I'm doing so many collaborations and licenses and partnerships. And so basically I just want it to be a destination where you can get like Rachel Zoe eyewear, Rachel Zoe fragrance, Rachel Zoe yeah. candles, Rachel Zoe, da, 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 you yep. know, and that's really the goal. And that's the thing I'm most focused on. And Curator is a huge focus for me. So we turned Box of Style into Curator, yep. which is French for the curator. It's the thing that I've really been hired to do most in my career is to curate and yep. advise and select and pick favorites and style people. And so we thought this is where the business should go. And yep. we wanted to create a women's lifestyle membership program beyond the box. So you still get your quarterly curation, of course, but now you, it unlocks membership benefits where you can go into our membership marketplace shop and literally just shop at huge discounts like luxury fashion beauty lifestyle items yep. and then with the collective which is exclusive partnerships with incredible brands from like health and wellness to home things like havenly or sakara life and you nice. know we do these incredible it's it's basically a membership women's lifestyle platform and it's and it's awesome and we have yeah. not even scratch the surface. We're only a few months in and it's been tremendously successful and, you know, and we're loving it. So, and I'm, I'm obsessed with it and I'm constantly trying to like, you know, make it bigger and more and better. And yeah, I just talked to Roger about it. Like your guys focus on that and what you're building there is awesome. I think I'm that's so going to be excited. something to watch. Yeah. And so two really last fun. questions for you. Yeah, no, it's, it's been great. It's been great to see the trajectory of it. So second to last question, yeah. What's next? What do you think you want to do? Like, obviously, Curator and building out Shop yeah. Rachel Zoe, but what, what, where do you envision this? I, I know you usually, as you said, what's right in front of you, but do you have yes. kind of five, the next five years, what you think is well, coming? I think media, you know, media, not necessarily. I mean, I'm definitely working on a TV, two TV concepts. Uh -huh. People have wanted, um, they asked for my old show back, but, you know, it can't really be. I mean, it's just different. Life is different. Yep. I don't want a camera in my kid's face all the time, you know? Sure. So I think it's, there's, there's some plans to be back on television. There are plans to do something like what we're doing now, mm -hmm. um, which will come soon. <laughs> I, I, I can't say things yet, gotcha. um, but very exciting there. Also, I have launched my first fragrance. So that's exciting. Yep. Um, we did a, a small launch on Shop Rachel's Out before the holiday and the full size are being launched first week of February. So that's really exciting. It's four cents, empowered instinct, warrior and fearless. So that's very exciting. And awesome. yeah, I mean, honestly, really continuing to grow Curator, really continuing to do more product, do more yep. product in, in every way in home and beauty and fashion. Makes sense. Awesome. And so last question, what would be your advice to someone getting started that 
looks to you as an, frankly, I would say idolizes you or like says, how do I become that? How do I reach the top of my game? What do you think has really gotten you all this way? You know what Roger always says, and I, I rarely quote him, <laughs> you know, he always says the thing that separated me because it's hard to be objective about yourself, yeah. but he always says that my passion was greater and I worked harder. Mm-hmm. You know, I never looked at what I was doing as a job, as work. I never looked at the clock. I never did it. I never looked and said, if I do this, I'll make this much money by this time. Mm-hmm. My passion drove me, continues to drive me, you know, and, and honestly, I hate to sound like I'm 80, but it's like the old fashioned way of just working really hard, you know, yeah. because ultimately as I sit and look at my team around me, it's the ones that work harder. Those yeah. are the ones that stand out, you yeah. know, yeah. they do and they go further quicker. Yeah. My business partner loves to say a natural talent will get you to about 25 and yeah. hard work will outpace it after that. Billion percent. I I agree a hundred percent. And I think, you know, you want to have the combination of both. Yep. And the passion. I think what you kind of said was have the passion and go all in. Like that's. You have to. I'm telling you, that's how you succeed. If you love it, the success comes. I promise. Yep. Yep. I promise. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for being on. Thank you. Thank you. It's really good to meet you. Good to talk to you. You too. Hawk Media is your outsourced CMO and marketing team. We'll dive into your business for free. Identify opportunities in your marketing strategy, then get you teamed up with individual experts, all month to month and a la carte. Whether you're looking for a Facebook advertiser, a web designer, or a fractional CMO, we can help you drive growth for your business. We've successfully grown over 2,500 brands, and we're here to help you too. No matter your goal, we've got you covered. To learn more, visit hawkmedia.com. That's hawk with an E, media.com. You've been listening to Hawk Talk. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give us a quick rating for the show. Just tap the number of stars you think this podcast deserves. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.